0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. All right, so today we are finishing our series uh, called Community. And, uh, you know, we've been making a big deal out of community because we believe that God makes a big deal out of community. And today, I want to talk to you about something that God has been stirring in my heart for the last few weeks, and I think it is an extremely important message for our church, for us individually, in, in helping us to see how we should see the world around us, but also how God sees us. And I want to talk to you today, and you notice I have a chair up here today. My message is called The Empty Chair. And I want to talk to you today about, about this chair, and about the way that we the way that we see an empty chair in the context of, of church. Because I believe this. I believe that, that God sees an empty chair in a church in, in a way that we as believers need to begin to see an empty chair in the church. Because when God sees an empty chair, as you look at this today, this, doesn't just, this isn't just a prop that I have on stage. I want us to begin to change the way we see this from us just seeing this as a chair to seeing what this represents what it represents for us, but what it represents for God. When I was a kid, um, I, had, I had a grandpa that was a really uh, strong man. He was a West Texas farmer, and he oversaw farming for many big portions of land all across West Texas. And he was a very, very strong personality, a uh, very tough guy. And, uh, and 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 kind of intimidating. He was this he was the kind of grandpa that you love him, but you're kind of afraid of him as a kid, right? So I remember I'd, I'd come to his house, and, and we'd always show up, and and whenever we'd show up, he'd always be there. And they had this—they had this land, and you know, it was this awesome place as a kid with all these corn, you know land all around it and huge tractors that we could go walk, you know, play on and stuff. And I remember pulling up to their farmhouse and we'd get out of the car and he'd always be out there to greet us. And, and he called me Hoss. He'd say, hello, Hoss. And then he'd give me a big hug. And, and then we would all kind of migrate into the house. And in the house, my grandpa had this chair and that was his chair. That was his spot. And, and he pretty much stayed in that chair the rest of the time that we would be there And it was, you know, it was this kind of understood idea that if he got up to go to the bathroom, like nobody was getting in his chair. Like he didn't have to call seat backs. It was known (laughs) that that was his chair and that nobody was going to get in his chair. Well, a few years ago, uh, my grandpa passed away and he, you know, he died. And, And I remember going back to his house and being in his home and there was that chair. And now that chair sat empty. And, and it's still to this day, when I go to their home, when I go to my grandma's house for you know, the holidays or whatever it may be, that chair sits empty. No one sits in it. And, and it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a conscious decision. It's just, it, it represents him. And when we see that chair and, and we, it, it, we we're reminded that, that he's not here anymore. And in the same way, I believe that, when God looks into a church and he sees an empty chair, he doesn't just see an empty chair. He sees that someone is missing. Someone is missing that he loves dearly. And, and so today I want to talk about this, but I do want to make this clear. And, 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 and I'm going to teach a little bit differently than I normally do today. And that normally, uh, you know, the points will kind of come throughout the message. But today I have three points for you. And I'm going to give you two of them right off the bat. And I want to give them to you right now because I want these these two points to be uh, in your mind and and kind of something you're meditating on throughout the context of the rest of this message. Because I believe if we can understand these things, it will help us see how God sees us. Okay, so uh, point number one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Point number one God loves the lost. God loves the lost. Point number two is this. God loves the found. God loves the found. Now, I know those aren't earth-shattering points, but they are extremely important to what we're we're doing today. Especially point number two, really, because I think a lot of times in the church world we've kind of created a culture where we go after the lost so much that sometimes we forget about the found. But God loves the found. And he loves the lost. He loves them all. So if you have your Bible today, we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. You can turn there with me. Or if you don't have a Bible, you can look up here on the screen with me. But we're going to look at some stories where Jesus talked about the lost. Now when I talk about the lost, I'm talking about today. I'm talking about people who don't know, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. People who have never made Jesus the Lord and the Savior of their life. And and how in scripture, God refers to those kind of people. You'll see this in the story as being lost, as being away from him, as being in in danger. So Luke chapter 15, we have Jesus, and he's talking uh, here to a group of people. He's talking to his disciples who are always with him. He's talking to some Pharisees who are always with him, always trying to kind of debunk his ministry and try to prove that he really isn't the son of God. And then he's just talking to a lot of different people, including Sinners, and, and so Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says this. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and, scribe, and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now we're going to stop right there. So Jesus is, is in this setting where people are noticing that he's hanging out with people that are not like them. Or like they think they are. And these, these Pharisees are kind of calling Jesus on something. They're saying, hey, he's had, this man, they don't even call him Jesus, this man is hanging out with sinners. And, and I want you to understand something today. They are right. They were absolutely right when they said that. And, and to be honest with you, that's a hallmark of, of Jesus' life, is that he did hang out with sinners, and he had no problem with them, and, and, because he loved them and he wanted to, help them, and he wanted to reach them. And when he looked at a sinner, he didn't just see a sinner, he saw who they could be. And he saw and had the love of God inside of him for them. And so we have Jesus here, and they're, and they're saying, he's hanging out with these people. And listen, these, these were not good people. Tax collectors were not good people in Bible times. In fact, uh, so you understand how tax collecting worked in Bible times. You would have a tax collector who would come to your house and he would assess all your stuff. So he'd come in, he'd look at everything you, you had, and then he would write up how much you, were, you owed the government based on the, your assets that you owned. And so let's say that you owed $100. Well, he would, he would tell you that you owed $200, And he would take a hundred of it and report it to the government. And then he would take the other hundred and he would pocket it. That's called stealing, right? And this was well known. All of them did this. And so imagine that you, just like any of us today, imagine that there's someone and they're just able to come and to take your money away from you and they're doing it right in front of you and you can do nothing about it. They're taking your money that you work hard for, that your family depends on, that your children eat from, and they're taking that money and they're making themselves richer. They're stealing from you. That's what tax collectors were like. And so, yes, they're right, these are bad guys. These are not the kind of people that they would normally want to associate with and especially eat with because eating in in those times was a way of saying, we accept this person, this person is one of us. And what's interesting to me is, look at this, It, it says here, it says, the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to hear him. See, these people that were sinners, these people that were away from God, these people that were thieves, were actually coming to jesus they were being drawn to him why were they being drawn to him because i believe there was something about jesus and i know what it is it's his love his love was apparent to the world around him like i said jesus when he looked at these sinners he didn't judge them he looked at them and he saw who who they could be and he saw who they were to god and who they were to him they were someone that he loved and I also think that Jesus understood something that sometimes we as Christians struggle with. He understood this sinners sin. Okay? You need to understand that today. This is important that you get because I know I, I see it all the time on things like Facebook that we look at the world around us and we're like, how could these people do this? How could they be so wrong and so off? Because listen, sinners sin. They're sinners. They don't have the ability to not sin, it's who they are. They're dead. In sin, the Bible tells us. It's who they are. It's how they live. Understand this. When you become a Christian, the Bible says that you are born again. You receive a new spirit. And now you can begin to live from that new spirit. And now you can begin to renew your mind and change the way that you think. And you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you who empowers you not to sin anymore and, and to live according to the word of God. A sinner has none of that. And yet we're trying to hold them to the standard that we are trying to live out with God. It's impossible. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You guys heard of the fruit of the Spirit before? You probably sang about it when you were in children's church. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of a Christian. Amen? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Who produces it? The Spirit. The Spirit. And sometimes we look at sinners, and they're an oak tree, and we say, why aren't you producing apples? Because you're not an apple tree. <laughs> you can't produce that fruit if, it, if it's not in you. But Jesus saw this, and he could look beyond sin because he knew these people can't live at my standard. They're not going to be able to practice self-control. They may be able to kind of pull it off from time to time, but ultimately, they have a sin nature that leads their life. And listen, Christians, we've got to see beyond that. We've got to learn as, as people of God to look beyond what people do to who they are or really who they can be. We've got to see that. We've got to look at people with the same eyes of faith and the same eyes of love that Jesus did in scripture. Okay, let's read on here. Verse three, Jesus, you know, he, he's in this situation. He knows that people are looking at him. The Pharisees are looking at him. I, I imagine the disciples are looking at him, wondering what he's doing. Verse three says this. So Jesus told them a story. If a man has one, has 100 sheep and one, everybody say one, one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99, everybody say 99. 99. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Okay, so stop here again. Now Jesus begins to kind of paint this picture for them. And he uses something that they can all relate to. He talks about Shepherding. He talks about sheep. This is something everybody in that time could relate to. They either were shepherds, they maybe had some sheep, they knew shepherds, it was all around them. And in scripture, they had seen through the years how God would refer to himself as a shepherd. One of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Isaiah 41 verse 10 says this, behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him he will feed his flock like a shepherd. It's all through scripture that that God refers to himself as a shepherd and to his people as sheep. So Jesus uses this very common analogy here to help these guys understand it. He's trying to make this connection. So, verse 5, it says this And when he has found it, talking about the lost sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. So, Jesus paints this picture of the shepherd. Who loses one sheep? He's got a hundred, but he loses one, and he goes out to find this sheep. And when he finds it, he comes home and he celebrates because obviously this sheep is of great desire to him. This is a valuable sheep to him. Now remember, point number one: God loves the lost, and what's lost when a, when a person is away from God? God loves them; they're of great value to Him. A few years ago, uh, me and Sarah were coming home from a family vacation, and our kids, I, I have three children, uh, but at this time, we only had two. My, my son, Gus, was five, and my daughter, Bo, was, was two years old. And we came home from this trip, and, and we were unpacking the car, and, and, uh, and, and here's something you need to understand about kids. If you don't have kids yet, know this. Kids are little Houdinis, okay? They are escape artists. They're good at it. Like, if you leave a door open, they will sniff that sucker out, and they will go, right? And so we got home uh, from this vacation, and we're unpacking our stuff. And you know how it is if you've done this before. You've got the garage door open because you're bringing things in. And we had the garage door open, but the door to the garage open. And we're bringing things in. And and so me and Sarah had brought a couple of bags upstairs, and we were kind of unpacking them. And my son Gus was in his room playing, and, and we're kind of unpacking and talking a little bit. And all of a sudden, my wife Sarah looks at me, and she says, hey, where's... Where's Bo? And when she said that to me, in my mind, like I immediately saw the garage door open and the front door open. And my heart sank. And and I, I, I didn't even really answer her. I just took off. And I I ran as hard as I could down the stairs, looking as I'm going, but I don't even think I touched, but maybe three stairs on my way down. And I went flying out into the garage and looking for her, and I went flying out into the neighborhood. Because listen, we lived in a cul-de-sac right in the front of the neighborhood, and just a little ways down, there was a street that was very busy, and and my two-year-old is missing right now. And so as I hit the door, I just thought, if she's gone that way, I'm just going to run out there and hopefully I can head her off before she gets to the street. And so I run uh, to the front of the the neighborhood and, and to the street and I'm looking everywhere and I'm calling her name and I'm not seeing her anywhere. And so there's a part of me, I'm kind of jogging home now and I'm thinking, well, Sarah's probably, I'm probably gonna come home and Sarah's found her. But I, I, I turn and I see our house and I see Sarah outside and she has a look of terror on her face and she's been looking for Bo and she is nowhere to be found. And so we are, we are calling her name in the neighborhood. I mean, we're making a scene to the point that some of the neighbors come out and they're now looking with us. And I am seconds away from, call, from dialing 911 because my little girl is missing when I look up And in the driveway, in our car, is a little beau. And she's sitting there in the car behind the steering wheel, and she's just smiling and laughing. She thinks we're playing a game. And and me and Sarah see her, and we just run over to the car, and we open up the door, and we grab her, and we're embracing her, and hugging her, and kissing her, and telling her, don't you ever do that again, you know how you do that? And she doesn't even know what we're talking about. She, has, she thought this was all a big, fun game. And, and it took a while for our hearts to settle down. I remember that night going into her room at bedtime after she was asleep and just going over to her little bed and just putting my hands on her and just thanking God that she didn't wander off and being so happy that she was home and she was safe. And you know, I, that's the heart of God. You know, people who are lost, people who are away from God. That's the way God sees them. He knows the danger that's that's out there lurking for them. He knows what awaits them. And when, when, my, when my little girl was, was lost, I, you can't help but your mind goes to these places of what could possibly happen to her. What if she gets hit by a car? What if someone grabs her and abducts her? What if she just Go somewhere and she, she can't find, I mean, she's two. She can't find her way home. She would be completely lost without us. She doesn't even, she didn't even know our names. We're mom and dad. And, and so the fear that, that struck us in the, the heart to have her home, and I want you to know something today that's the heart of God for lost people, He loves them. While they may not be children of God because you cannot be a child of God unless you make him the Lord and Savior of your life, they are people that he loves dearly. He loves them like we would love our children or like the greatest love that you have in your life. Only, to be honest with you, his love for for them and for us pales in comparison because we cannot love at the level that he loves at. And that's his heart for the lost. He cares about them so much. Look at what it says here. He brings it home. Jesus says this in verse 7. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, let me just talk about this for a minute because we read that verse and you kind of go, well, okay, so that kind of sounds like that God cares more about the one than the 99. I mean, when we read it, it, in fact, a little earlier, it says, won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? I mean, we kinda read that and it's like, you know, you get saved and it's kinda like this is the heart of God for you. Oh, I'm pursuing you, I'm pursuing you, I'm pursuing you. Okay, now you're saved, okay, go over here, I'm moving on now. But listen, that's not, that's not the, we have to understand the context of scripture and you also have to understand the nature of God and who he is. You see, in, in the context of the scripture, when those 99 are left, they are left in safety. They are left in good care. In fact, that word wilderness, when it talks about they're left in the wilderness, that word is a Greek word, a which in this case is, is uh, translated to mean an uncultivated region. Look at this, fit for pasture, meaning that it's an area, they've been brought to an area, that is fit for them to grow in and to be safe in and to be taken well, to be taken good care of. And and you need to see something here. God is called a good shepherd in scripture, right? Would a good shepherd leave the 99 in danger? Would that be a really good shepherd? No, it wouldn't. He leaves them because he can leave them. Because he's put them in good care. They're together and they're well watched over and they have what they need to be cared for. And another thing I want to point out to you today is that in in scripture, the found, which is who you are if you're a Christian, are referred to as the church, which is also referred to as the bride of Christ. And it talks about this in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Look at what, this is what Jesus did. It says here, And gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Now look at this, so that he might present the church, talking about me and you, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We see here that, that Jesus is calling himself uh, the husband, the husband. And the church, we as the church, we as his people are are the bride. Now, let me ask you this. Would a good husband marry a bride and then abandon her to go pursue someone else? The answer is no, okay? That would not be a good husband at all. And and would a good husband, whose goal is to present this bride to God in perfect condition, would he leave that bride in a place of danger? Again, the answer is no you also need to understand this about God. God in scripture, he, he calls us to be good stewards, right? We know that in the context of the Bible. Good stewardship means that we take care, good care of what we have been given, of what's been placed in our hand. That's stewardship. And God, you need to know this about God today. God never asks you to do anything that he hasn't already done. Even in salvation, when he asks you to to make Jesus the Lord of your life and give up your life for him, understand Jesus gave his life first for you. He never asks you to do anything that he hasn't already done. So when he asks you to be a good steward, the understood idea is that he is a good steward. Once again, would a good steward leave 99 alone and in danger and in in a bad place to pursue the one? Again, the answer is no, right? See, God leaves the 99, or the shepherd leaves the 99, because he can, because they are in a safe place. But understand this the one that is lost is not. A lost sheep, a sheep out in the wilderness, or out in the world on its own, is in grave danger. Because, see, sheep can't fight very good. I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep, but they don't put off the vibe of, like, dang, that sheep is scary. It doesn't happen. And and they can't. They can't fight very good. And and they also can't escape very well. They're slow animals. They're not very very flighty. So if something comes along to attack them and to hurt them, they're in big trouble. And beyond that, and this is kind of hurtful today because we are called sheep by God, but sheep are not very smart. (laughs) Sorry to have to tell you that today, but, but you need to know this. If a sheep is lost... A a, a real sheep does not have the ability to find its way home. It's not like a dog that can return to its home or a cat or like a horse that can return to the stable. If they are lost, they are completely lost and will wander in lostness for the rest of their life until something happens. The only way they can be brought back is if somebody pursues them. Gosh, that's good, guys. They have to be pursued. Somebody has to go out and go after them. And listen, what I want you to see today is this. It's not that God loves the one more than the other. It's not that God loves the 99 more than the one. Here's what I want you to see today. God loves a hundred. He loves them all. He loves the found and he loves the lost. They're of great value to him. He cares for them in a greater way than we can ever understand. And a 99% success rate for God is just not good enough. He wants them all. Just like if someone was to come to me and I lost a child and they said, well, you got those other two. That ain't going to cut it. And and it ain't going to cut it with you either. I want all of my kids safe. I want all of my kids sitting around the table. I don't want an empty chair. And here's point number three today. And this is where we as believers come into play. Point number three is this. God needs the found to help him reach the lost. God needs us, us those that are found, to help him to reach the lost. That's, that's the mission that Jesus has placed in our lives. And yet, I think if we're being honest sometimes, we like having the empty chair around us. We like sometimes the, the, the elbow room. I, you know, I, I know it's not that we don't care about people. It's re- I know it's not that, it's just honestly we're busy, we got things going on and we, we just don't think of it like, like God does and so that's it's the heart of this message is that we would think of it and see it the way Jesus does. But, but sometimes we don't, we, we, you know, we live in a world where we like our room. You I like when I go to a movie, I like the buffer zone, right? You ever been to movie guys and like you bring a buddy with you and he sits down right beside you and you're like, dude, move over. Like, I need some room here. Like, we're not dating. This is not gonna happen. So scoot on over. I remember one time me and Sarah were in a, Movie theater, And I, I like to get to the movies 30 minutes early, and I have a theory behind where you sit in a theater, and I want to get the most out of my movie experience, and you can ask me about that later, but anyways, we're at the movie, and I'm in my seat, and I got my, my place all set, I got my popcorn, my candy, we're all set, and it's one of these movies where we're sitting there, and it's just us forever, no one is in the theater And, you know, it's kind of fun when that happens. I don't know why, but it's just kind of cool. But then right before the movie starts, you know, the previews are going, and I see a a couple come into the movie theater. And, you know, they come in, and it's a completely empty movie theater. And they start walking up the rows. And they walk up towards our row. And they move into our row, and they come down. And this dude sits right beside me. And I'm I'm, I'm literally, like, offended. I look at Sarah, and I'm like... What the heck is like, this whole theater? And you sit right beside me because it's kind of how we're programmed. That's how we're wired. Like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? I need my armrests. Uh, a few a few months ago, I was I was flying from California. I'd been at a conference, and I was flying back, and I had about three hours on the plane. Uh, coming from California. I was going to be connecting in Denver and then flying home. And I had this three-hour window, and I was, I was really excited about this window because I had some work to do. I needed to work on the message for the weekend at church, and I, I had my thoughts together and had kind of been planning how this was going to go. And so I was feeling really good about it. And so, you know, I've got my head down. I'm ready to do my thing. i got my plan for the day. And uh, I'm flying Southwest. If you've ever flown Southwest, you don't have an assigned seat. It's kind of every man for himself, but I'm standing up to, in, the, in the line getting ready to fly, and there's not a lot of people there. And so I'm excited. Like, this is great. I'm probably going to have lots of room. I'm going to be able to get a lot of work done. This is going to be awesome. And this lady comes up beside me. And she's probably late 50s, 60s maybe, early 60s. And she starts talking to me. And she's talking really loud. And when she talks to me, it's apparent that she is a bit intoxicated at like nine o'clock in the morning. And, she's, and she looks at me and she goes, are you afraid of flying? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> well, I am, that's why I've been drinking. Okay, I, I really don't know what to, I'm just trying to, let's just find our seat. So then the next question, the million dollar question. So what do you do? Well, uh, actually, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Oh, Really? Well, I'm gonna sit by you. I got a lot of questions for you on this on this plane. What 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 do you you think people who do you think people good people go to hell? And she just starts going for it. And I'm sitting here listening to this and breathing in this, and it's dawning on me this flight is not gonna go the way I thought it was gonna go. And and I'll be honest with you, I was kind of ticked off about. And I'm, I'm walking up the, you know how it is. I'm walking up the, the plane to get on and she's talking to me and you're going, eh, eh, eh. and she is right there beside me. And, and I'm thinking inside, I'm kind of just, I'm kind of complaining to God. Anybody ever do that? Come on, you know you do it, come on. Complaining to God, God, you know I have so much going on. I need this time. I, I gotta get this message written. I really wanna minister to people. And right there, is where God kind of shows up and begins to speak to me. And it's, it, you know, the voice of God, so you know, it's not a booming voice from heaven. It's just, it just sounds like your thoughts. And, and so God begins to, he says this, you want to minister to people, do you? And so that's just kind of hanging there now. So I'm, I'm just kind of, and then I hear this from God what if this was the plan I had for you on this plane? In that moment, I I had to repent internally. And, And I made up my mind, I'm gonna put my laptop away and I'm going to be fully in this moment and allow God to do whatever he wants to do. And so sure enough, I get on the plane, she's right there beside me. you wanna sit here? Is this good? It's great, let's do it. And this is like three seats, and I'm sitting on the window. And so I sit on the window thinking she'll give me the buffer zone. No buffer zone. <laughs> Boom, right beside me in the middle. <laughs> and she's just, she's just letting me have it, telling me about her life, telling me about her kids, and telling me about... And it's amazing. She's just telling me everything. She's telling me how much she... How disappointed she is with her life. And I'm just listening, listening. And I'm waiting for the opportunity to share. And finally, it kind of comes. I begin to just share with her the love of God. Just tell her my story. That I grew up in church and I was lost. I was a mess. I tried doing things my way, but I knew religion, but I didn't have a relationship. And I came to know a living, loving Jesus. And he changed my life and he showed me that I was always a part of his plan. And he sent his son Jesus. God sent his son Jesus to die for me because he always wanted me to be a part of his family so that was his heart for me and and i share all this with her and honestly i'm sharing it with her and i'm just wondering is this is she even know what i'm talking about right now but something amazing begins to happen as i'm talking she gets less and less fidgety and then all of a sudden it just hit me it does not smell like alcohol anymore it was gone and she was sober god sobered her up and I shared with her the love of God and I kept sharing it. And I got to this place, I stopped and she looked at me and she said, I know, I know Jesus loves me. What do I do? And I said, well, we can pray right now. And I gave her my hand and I prayed with her. She repeated after me. She confessed her sins and made Jesus the Lord and Savior of her life. And I'm telling you, I've, it's one of the most powerful moments of my life. The presence of God was so strong on that plane. And I saw a person become born again. When it was over, she was a different person with tears streaming down her face. She just kept saying the rest of the flight, I just love Jesus. I got on that plane that day and I had an agenda. But God had another agenda. And I remember after it was over, she said, I want you to tell your church my story. She said, Tell them about what happened with me. And tell them how you saved my life. And I said, Listen, I didn't save your life. I just shared with you the love of God. And Jesus is the one that saved your life. And as I was telling her that, God, God showed up again. And he spoke something to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, No, son. She was lost and I needed you to help her be found. Church, you need to understand something today. God loves the lost, and God loves the found, and God needs the found to have a heart for the lost so that he can reach the lost. In my life, I'll tell you something, I don't want empty chairs around me. I don't want elbow room anymore. I want God to use me. I wanna see what happened that day happen all the time. Because there are people in this world that are suffering, people in this world that are that are going to hell and they're living in hell here on this earth and Jesus paid the price so they wouldn't have to. And we have the answer and we need to give it away. It's ours to give, we need to see this for what it is. This is a lost person. Someone isn't here today that should be here. Someone isn't in these chairs that should be here. And the only way they're gonna get here is if me and you take on the heart of God and say, we're going to go after them. We're going to pursue them. They can't find their way here on their own. We have to go after them and bring them home. So today I'm going to, I'm going to put something on you. I here, if you would, we have these little cards and on this little card, it says, this chair is reserved for, and then there's a blank space. What I'd like you to do is I want you to grab one of these. Go ahead, usher, start passing those out. I want you to take one of these and I want you to to think, yes, but I want you to ask God. In fact, worship band, you guys can go ahead and come on out. I want you to ask God, Lord, who who would you put on my heart to reserve a chair for? And when I say reserving a chair, what I'm saying is that you're going to make an effort to pursue this person. This could be a coworker. This could be a a child that's away from God. This could be a friend, a distant relative. I don't know who it is. Maybe you have more than one. If you do, grab a couple of cards. But but I want you to think of that person, and then I want you to just write their first name down on the card. And if you can't think of anybody, hang on to it. And ask God. Just continue to ask God. But write that name down. And then would you do this? Would you stand with me this morning? An empty chair is a big deal. And I want you to take this card that you just filled out. And I want you to put it on your chair the chair that you were just sitting in. I want you to put it on that chair. here's what we're declaring in doing so. We're declaring by putting it on this chair that I will move out of the seat of my life to see to it that someone else finds a seat. Because listen, this is all about filling up, not just this church, but filling up the banquet table of heaven. And one day we will all sit and dine with Jesus and we're going to put everybody in that, at that table that we possibly can Because God loves the lost, and we are the found, and our job is to go and get them. So you place that in your chair, and you are declaring that I will invite people, I will bless people, I will move out of the comfort of my life to see that they find a seat with God, that they are found, i will do whatever it takes. Listen, God loves the found, and God loves the lost. And lost people need Jesus, and Jesus needs found people to help him reach the lost. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes.